Let us begin our Good Friday sermon with prayer. Gracious Lord, as we look upon your death, we ask you to work through the words of tonight's sermon that we may see what is finished and the tremendous comfort that gives to us. Amen. Our text for our sermon is out of our Passion History from last Wednesday. That's recorded in John chapter 19, verse 30. When Jesus had received the sour wine, he said, It is finished! Then bowing his head, he gave up his spirit. This is the gospel history of our Lord. What is finished? If we translate the inspired Greek word that the Apostle John uses, it would be, it is having been brought to completion. What is having been brought to completion? A lot of the churches that we would label as work righteous, those who say your works contribute to your salvation, would say his life here is complete. But when you consider somebody who's 33 and has basically been murdered by a kangaroo court, would you consider that a complete life? No. It is having been completed. Jesus is pointing to something more. He's complete, pointing to the work he had been doing for all 33 years of his life, the work that culminated in that cross, that work of saving you has been finished. Those words are a proclamation. They're a statement of fact, and you can see them as God's promise to you. Some of the most profound and comforting words of Scripture. Tonight we wrap up our Reformation theme as we have worked through our Lent season this year and looking at the by grace alone, by faith alone, by Scripture alone and applying that to the text today, we see that the Reformation gives all glory to the true Redeemer showing Christ has finished all the work for your salvation. Now, mankind has a problem. In our sinful nature, in original sin, we have this built-in religion. And this built-in religion views salvation as a balancing act, like the scales of justice. And the basic idea is, when it looks at the law, it says, I have to have more good on my scale than bad on my scale. And some people go so far as to think if they pile enough good on the scale, then the bad will slide off the opposite side. But is that what the law teaches? Is the law meant to be a means of salvation? Jesus, in Luke chapter 10, verse 25 through 28, we're told, just then an expert in the law stood up to test Jesus, saying, Teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Do you hear the word righteousness in his question? What must I do to inherit eternal life? An inheritance is supposed to be a gift. But what can I do to get God to give me that inheritance? And Jesus says, what is written in the law? He asked him, what do you read there? He replied, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind and love your neighbor as yourself. He said to him, you have answered correctly. Do this and you will live. Can anybody with a sinful nature ever say that they have loved the Lord their God with all their heart, with all their soul, and with all their strength? If they think they can, they're only lying to themselves. And so let's clear off that first table of the law. That already damns us to hell. But what is the love God has given you, the love that he demands you show to his neighbor? Is it, you know, my neighbor's a good guy and he helps me out and we swap tools so I can love him? 
It's more than that. Yes, God's law is a righteous indignation against all unholiness. But could you love somebody enough to want to save their eternal soul if they were the likes of Hitler or Joseph Stalin? Let's admit it. All it takes is somebody to be mean to us and we can stop loving them. And to have to do this 100% of the time, all the time, never failing. If we want to play the balancing act with the law, with the scales of justice, with God's law, the truth of the matter is we always have to have good on it all the time, period. There can be no bad. Martin Luther had quite a problem. You see, when he went into the monastery as a monk, he'd bought into the main theology of the Roman Catholic Church of his time. And that was the idea that you could do so many good works that not only would you have enough good on your scales to slide the bad off, you'd have so much good that you could give it to other people. Even telling his dad as an excuse, won't it give you comfort that I will be praying for you and you'll go to heaven because you have a son in the monastery? And his dad basically said, you were supposed to be my retirement account. It would be more comfort for me to know I'm going to still have food in my stomach when I'm too old to work. What does God have to say about that? Romans chapter 3 verses 19 through 20 says, Now we know that whatever the law says is addressed to those who are under the law, so that every mouth will be silenced and the whole world will be subjected to God's judgment. For this reason, no one will be declared righteous in his sight by works of the law, for through the law we become aware of sin. And that is the intent of the law. The main intent of the law, since Adam and Eve fell into sin, is to sit there as a judge and say, sin, 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 sin. The law will never give you one ounce bit of power to do good. The law is holy and good. It tells us God's holiness, but it shows us where we're unholy. And like I said, we can't do extra holiness to make up for having unholy on the scale. If we are to be saved, we have to keep the law completely, perfectly, 100% of the time. But you can't do it, and I can't do it. I can assure you I can't even go one minute without breaking one of the commandments in my thoughts. Don't even often realize I've done it. But there are those words. It is finished. It is having been brought to completion. Christ, true God, that meant he had no blemish of sin, became true man so he could be your substitute. And for 33 years, he walked this world. He kept the law perfectly. He did it 100%. Never thought one sinful thought. And so there he is right up to the end, keeping the law perfectly for you. What is having been brought to completion? All the work of the law. Christ did all the work of the law for you and went above and beyond, even was tempted in ways you and I would have fallen and stood up strong so that he could credit you with that. The balancing scale in our lives, as long as there's one gram of sin on it, we're in trouble. We haven't kept the law. We've broke it. If you could keep the law perfectly, you would already be saved right up until the time you break it. But Christ kept the law for you and has credited it to you. And so he has done all the work of the law. But this, as I already have pointed out, was not the teaching of the Roman Catholic Church. And to this day, it still isn't. The Roman Catholic Church officially teaches what they call infused grace. And I like to compare that to a car. 
If I were to leave the headlights on my vehicle and went outside and, and had dumped enough of the battery that the starter wouldn't turn over, then if you were kind enough to give me a jump, we could get my vehicle started. And as long as that alternator's good and that and I didn't run out of gas, that engine would turn that alternator and it would charge up that battery to the point that with enough time that the battery would be fully charged again while the engine's still running. And I could turn that off and it would start itself. So that's what the Roman Catholic Church teaches that God does for you. They call it infused grace. He comes along and gives you a jump start and then you start earning your salvation. That is blasphemous teaching. Jesus says it is having been brought to completion. He completed the law for you. And it is saying, no, Lord, you're lying. There's something we have to do. On the other side of that in the Reformation came along Zwingli and Calvin and the Reformed. And their view of the law is just as twisted. And they don't realize it, but it also calls Christ a liar here. What do they teach? They actually believe that the gospel is more law. They believe that what Christ did is he simplified the law for you. He made it possible for you to keep it busy because he got rid of the ceremonial laws and the hard things. And so now if you believe in Jesus hard enough, you can love your neighbor and God yourself. And to them, that's the gospel. But again, Jesus says it's having been completed. Now we get to that by faith alone. Do you trust his words? Do you trust the words of scripture where he says it is finished or literally it is having been completed? Because if you do, you will recognize the law is not a means of salvation for me. The law shows me my sin so that I see I need a savior. But the savior, the good news of his completing the law for me, that's my salvation. And then the Holy Spirit works through that message. It is finished. To give you faith so that you believe what even defies the logic of our sinful nature. That Christ has completed all the law for you and credited it to you. So we see all the work of the law has been completed for you. And that means now, now you have all the credit of doing the law. But if we're going to view this as balancing scales, you still have sin on the scale. You still have every time you even think one thought that violates God's word off the scale. So right now you've been credited with Christ completing the law for you, but you still have sin. That's the other part. It is having been completed. When Christ was on the cross and he said those words, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? You should hear those as a promise to you too because it is right there that God, man, is suffering an eternity in hell for you. Hell is being abandoned by God. He is suffering so he can remove your sin and it's a promise to you that he was abandoned and forsaken by God so that you will never be. Now, he is the sacrifice. The last thing he has to do is die. He gives up his life and that is your proof that your sins are washed away. So the work of the law is having been completed and now his life removes your sin. Now John 3.16 makes this very clear. He says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. So you have to have that faith. You have to have that faith that Jesus has done all the work to remove your sin. All the work to complete the law for you, all the work to remove your sin. And again, the Holy Spirit works through the scriptures, through messages like it is having been completed to work that faith in you. It becomes yours by faith, which you get by scripture alone, by the proclamation of God's word. Now, let's go back to the Reformation. As the Roman Catholic Church still teaches to this day, 
You had to go to confession. You were required to go to the confessional booth at least four times a year. And when you went to that booth and you confessed your sins, they called Jesus a liar. He had not completed all the work of earning your salvation, of earning your forgiveness, because they prescribed to you a penance. You had to go out and say so many Hail Marys or whatever they thought fit the crime. Now, I've had Roman Catholic friends tell me, oh, that's not what the church teaches now. Oh, no, that's just an extra measure to help discipline me so that I don't fall into sin. But I've also had friends who are Catholic priests tell me that's a load of baloney. They still see penance as prescribing a punishment for you to help you earn your forgiveness. That is calling Christ a liar as he shouted out, it is having been completed. Oh, but even in Lutheranism we can be guilty of calling Christ a liar. When we turn around and we make repentance an obligation for forgiveness. When we say, you have to be sorry, and then God will forgive you. That's a work you do. That is calling Christ a liar. He's saying the work of your forgiveness is having been completed. Now, Scripture has two different definitions for repentance. The first is the narrow sense, and that's when I sin and I recognize I've hurt somebody's feelings or I recognize it's, a, it's my loving God that I've sinned against. I wish I hadn't of. I'm sorry. And that's the narrow definition. But the wider definition, and if you're work righteous, you'll miss it throughout the Gospels and the New Testament, even in the Old Testament, is brought to you by having faith. You can only understand this through Scripture alone. When you believe that Jesus has completed the work of the law for you, when you believe that Jesus did all the work for your salvation, then repentance is, while I'm going to have a sinful nature for the rest of this life, I know that my sins are forgiven, and motivated by that, then I don't want to sin, even though my sinful nature gets his sucker punches in every day. So why do we excommunicate people then? It's simply and truly because if they have a sin in which they are embracing that sin, if they're loving that sin more than they're loving salvation, because God's law still shows us God's holiness, it's not a means of salvation, but if you're embracing something to the point that you know it offends God, but you're going to live in it, you're going to wallow in that sin like a pig wallowing in mud, you can drive the Holy Spirit out of your heart. And so excommunication is warning somebody, you are embracing a sin. So it's not repent and then God will forgive you. God forgave you 2,000 years ago on Calvary. And when you hear that message, you believe it. And with that Holy Spirit in your heart, you don't want to sin even though you do every day. And so biblical repentance is trusting your sins are forgiven and then struggling against that sinful nature. And when you win the struggle, you thank the Lord because you couldn't have done it without him. And when you lose that, that struggle, you thank the Lord because he has forgiven you and you don't want to sin. Brothers and sisters in Christ. These words, it is having been brought to completion, it is finished. Just drive home the point of the Reformation by grace alone, by faith alone, by scripture alone. They are tremendous comfort and they prove the whole entire point. Isn't it nice to know Christ did all the work? Isn't it nice to know, because I got a sinful nature, I sin every day and you do too. We'll screw it up if it's in our hands. Isn't it nice to know it is finished? And God gives us the faith through that message alone, through that message to know, yes, 
Christ has finished all the work for my salvation. We see the Reformation gives all glory to the true Redeemer, showing Christ has finished all the work for your salvation. All the work of the law, Christ completed it for you. All the work of removing sin, Christ completed it for you. Amen. Therefore, since we have a great high priest who has gone through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold firmly to the faith we profess. Amen.